0: Man, I was just over there uh, listening to you guys sing and, and, and I was just thinking about something someone said to me earlier this week. They, they said, Kyle, I've never been a part of anything like this before. I've, I've never been in a space with this many college students inside of a church and, and I was just sitting there thinking like, gosh, I just, I don't wanna take for granted what we get to do here on Tuesday nights. I don't wanna take for granted that we get to gather inside of a space and we get to come and we get to sing and we get to worship and we get to learn about Yahweh. It's an amazing privilege that we have to be able to do that, and I'm so thrilled to be here with you. If you don't know me, I'm Kyle. If this is your first time to Veritas, really glad you're here tonight. We're in a series right now. I should have said this a few weeks ago that, uh, frankly, we kind of ripped off from John Mark Comer and, and more particularly this book, God Has a Name. It's a fantastic book. If you like to read, I would highly recommend it. As the title suggests, we're in this series where we're essentially just talking about the reality that God has revealed himself to us. God has not just revealed himself, but he's revealed his name. He's told us his name, and his name is Yahweh. If you were here at Veritas a few weeks ago, maybe you remember that, that I started by, by asking a question. It was this question. What is God like? And my guess is that when I asked that question, some of you, um, kind of right away, you you started kind of like spouting off a list inside of your head. Yeah, this is this is what God is like. This is what I think God is like. This is what comes to mind when I think about God. Others of you, though, y- you're not so sure. You don't really know what to think, or maybe, maybe you're confused, maybe, maybe there are lots of different things going through your mind, and, and regardless of whether you think you know what God is like, or, or you aren't totally sure what God is like, that's the reason we're in this series, And it's the reason that we're talking about the things that we're talking about, but but that question, what I want to say is that at the time of Exodus, this this passage that we're looking at from, from the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, in the ancient Near East, at the time that Exodus was written, this question, it wasn't a question at all. It's not because they didn't know how to ask the question. No, it wasn't a question because everybody knew the answer. See, everybody knew the answer to that question. There wasn't a question of, like, what is God like? Or or maybe as Alex talked to us last week, if you miss Veritas, go back and listen to her talk on YouTube. It's fantastic. She helped us to see that it's not just God. It's the gods sometimes in the ancient Near East. And so maybe more appropriately, what is God like Or, or what are the gods like? Everybody had an answer to that question. And the answer is that they were angry. They were mean. They were rarely satisfied, always demanding. That's what the gods were like. So for example, um, any uh, Greek mythology fans in here? Yeah, me either. Oh, sorry, one dude. Uh, My bad. Um, But I do like a good story, so we're gonna go with it. So uh, Trojan War, right? Like even if you don't know anything about Greek mythology like me, uh, you at least have heard about the Trojan War. And so legend has it, that as the Greek king, I'm going to look his name up, Agamemnon, was sailing across the Mediterranean Sea on his way to fight the people of Troy in the Trojan War, the, the Greek fleet, a military, gets stuck in the ocean. And the reason that they get stuck is because there's no wind. And, and if you're on a boat that relies on wind to go and you would have no wind, yeah, you get it, right? Like you can't go anywhere. Now, the question is, like, why was there no wind? There was always wind, it seemed like, in the ocean. And, and the reason wasn't just that there was this natural weather phenomenon that all of a sudden it's just a windless day. No, as the story goes, the Greek goddess Artemis halted the wind. And there's some debate about why she did so, but, but the reality is, at least as the story goes, that, that she was angry. And, and we don't totally know why. Some people think they do and other people say they do, but th- that's not the point. The point is that she's angry, and the end result is that the, the, the Greek fleet, it gets stranded. They, they can't go to fight in this war unless, unless the king offers a sacrifice. And if you know the story, the sacrifice that Artemis demanded of this Greek king was his daughter. And so that's what he did. He slit her throat, she dies, and immediately the wind starts blowing. Now, true or not true, legend, myth, history, reality, that's not the point. The point is that this is what people thought the gods were like. This is what came to mind when they thought about the gods. At the time Exodus was written, gods were angry, they were vindictive, they were cruel, and they were unforgiving. And the reason that matters is because I want you to imagine for a second. I want you to put yourself, sometimes I think we get so far removed from, from the, the people. In the, I want you guys for a second, just, just put yourselves in the shoes of the people in the book of Exodus. So, so hundreds, thousands of years ago, I want you to put yourselves in, in their shoes for a second. I want you to imagine that you're, you're an ancient Hebrew, and, and you're, in, uh, you're in Egypt. And actually, you've gotten out of Egypt, and now you're one want- So what's happened is that, that your people have been enslaved in Egypt for hundreds of years until you're miraculously freed. And who are you freed by? This is the story of the book of Exodus. You're freed by this God that you don't know, and this God that you don't know that you've never heard of. He not only he rescues you from slavery, he gets you through the Red Sea, you're wandering through the desert. As you're wandering in the desert, he's feeding you and keeping you alive. And the whole time you've got to be asking yourself, why on earth is any of this happening? It's not like they understood who this God was, and so I want you to imagine the confusion, imagine the questions, because this isn't how the gods acted. This isn't what the gods were like. This isn't what the gods did. And so the question you must have been asking yourself is who is this God? Who is this God? What is this God like? he would do these things. But you see that question. God isn't a riddle to be solved. He tells us himself. I just said he reveals himself to us. He, He reveals himself to them. He gives them his name, Yahweh. See what they find out is that whoever this God is. They didn't have a lot of answers at the time. But what they find out is that whoever this God is. He knows them. And he wants to be known by them and what i want to say is the same thing is true for us now it was true then and it's true for us and it's the reason that we're doing this series because there there, there are all sorts of ideas and all sorts of confusion because there are all sorts of ideas out in the world about who god is who what he's about what he's like and so when we thought of this series, we said, look, we just want to try and cut through the noise. We want to cut through, cut through the confusion. We want to cut through all of the questions and let Yahweh speak on his own terms through his word. Let Yahweh answer for himself. Who is he and what is he like? And so this is the passage that he reveals himself. He says, or it says, as he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming Yahweh, Yahweh, The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Now, something to know about Hebrew, the language that this is originally written in, is that word order in a a list like this really matters. It matters because it gives us a clue about what's important. It gives us a clue about what the author wants us to pay attention to in particular. And so what does God want us to know about himself? What's the thing that Yahweh wants us to know more than any other thing? What's the first thing in the list? It's that he's compassionate and gracious. See, it's interesting that, that of all the things that Yahweh could have, could have said about himself, could have revealed about himself first, the first thing that he talks about with respect to what he's like, what his character is like, who he is, is the fact that he's compassionate and gracious. It's what he wants you to know about him. Now, I wonder, is that what comes to your mind when you think about God? Is that your experience of who God is and what he's like, that God is compassionate, that God is gracious, it's what God wants you to think about, it's what God wants for you to have come to mind, and if that's true, if if that's what God wants us to think about, if that's our, if that's what God wants us to to experience with him, then I think we've got to make sure that we understand what it actually means, Right? I mean, it's one thing to say this is who God is and this is what he's like and, and is that what comes to your mind when you think about God, but but what do these words actually mean? Stating the obvious, they're different words, right? So they mean slightly different things. So let's do one at a time. What, is it, what does it mean that God is compassionate? Lots of places in the Bible that we could turn to. One, one story that I wanna go to comes from uh, the book of 1 Kings. So 1 Kings, it comes from a section of the Old Testament known as The historical books and there's this really odd story you're gonna wonder like what on earth does this have to do with compassion Um, but but here's the context two women come to a king and the reason they come to a king is because they're arguing over a baby they're arguing over a child one woman says it's my kid the other woman says it's my kid one woman is the actual mother one woman is lying but they both go to the king and they say okay you've got to figure this out because we can't agree And so you're the king, and so you make the decision who gets the kid, and and this is what we read. It says, then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king. He then gave an order. Cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. Okay, plot twist, yeah? That's not where we thought we were going. What does this, it's not good, right? What does this have to do with God being compassionate? see what happens. The woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, please, my Lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. So you see what happens, right? The the real mother says, look, I, I don't want my son to die, so I don't care. Give the other woman my son. I would rather give up my son to another woman, then watch him die. This word, I, I love, I have it highlighted. It's interesting. You know, this gets tricky sometimes in the Hebrew because this word that's behind the word love is the same word that's translated for compassion in Exodus 34. And so the reason I'm bringing this up and the reason that we're looking at this somewhat abstract story, we'll move on from it in a second, is, is because this, this picture that we get of compassion is this like visceral, she's, she's deeply moved. Out of love, she's deeply compassionate for her son. See, it's this visceral, deep love that a mother has for her kid. That's the picture of compassion that we get from this passage. But it's not the only picture that we get in the Bible of what compassion is. This, this is another uh, another passage. This is from Psalm 103. David is saying this. It's actually um, well, anyway. Uh, Yahweh is compassionate and gracious, (laughs) slow to anger, abounding in love. As a father has compassion on his children, so Yahweh has compassion on those who fear him. So you put those passages together, and, and what you have is that this idea of compassion in the Old Testament is that compassion is how a parent feels about their kids. And so to say that Yahweh is compassionate is to say Yahweh feels particularly, perfectly compassionate for his children, for you, for me, for us, for his people. Now, I want you to listen to me say this because because I know that there's some of you here tonight, I've been doing this long enough to know that some of you here, we sing songs and you hear me say that God is perfectly compassionate towards you. That God is deeply moved out of love for you, and you're sitting there thinking to yourself, no, he's not. I'm not lovely. I'm not lovable. But I want you to hear me say this. You are. You absolutely are. Because of Jesus, God loves you. He has compassion for you infinitely more. It's difficult for us to get our minds wrapped around this, but but God's compassion for you, for every single one of us here tonight, is infinitely more than any any earthly parent ever could be. It's true. It's who God is. It's his posture towards you. It's his posture towards It's one of compassion. But you see, he says he's not just compassionate. He's gracious. And so what does it mean that That God is gracious. Well, here's a passage from earlier in Exodus. It says this. God's talking here. It's a little bit abstract, but we'll go with it. He says, if you ever seize your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, you are to return it to him before the sun sets. For that's his only covering. It's his cloak for his body. What else is he to sleep in? And it will come about to me that when he cries out to me, I will listen to him. Why? For I am gracious. I am gracious. Now, it gets a little tricky here because this word also sometimes, if you, if you look this up in your Bible, it might actually say compassionate. Hebrews is hard sometimes. They use the same words to translate the same word. But, but it is a different word. And so it means something slightly different. See, compassion is a feeling word. Gracious, it's an action word. It's something being done. It's, it's meeting a need. It's helping someone out taking care of someone in need. In this case, giving a guy a coat to keep warm at night because it's the only thing he has. David, a different passage, Psalm 86. This is actually a prayer David has. He says, turn, he's praying to God, praying to Yahweh. He says, turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant. Save the son of your maidservant. See, in context, what, what David is praying is that, that God would do something, both for him and for Israel, that, that God would come and rescue him, that, that God would come and, and save Israel from their plight. And so when we put both of those things together, what we see is that, that to say that God is compassionate and gracious is to say that, that God feels perfect compassion for us as his children, And he's also the God that comes to us in our time of need. He's the God that rescues us in our great need because of sin. See, I I want us to catch this. Of all the things that Yahweh wants us to know, of all the things that he could have said first in this passage, it's that he's compassionate and he's gracious. That's his posture toward us. That's his posture toward you. But, yeah, there's a but. It means he's also compassionate, and he's also gracious to the person sitting next to you. Now, my guess is that's fine because you probably came with that person, or maybe you met that person when you came and sat down. And you're like, well, he or she's a pretty good guy, so that's that's cool. That God is compassionate and gracious toward that person. Okay, what about the person across the room that that you didn't expect to see here tonight? Are you okay with God being compassionate and gracious toward that person? What about the person that, that you walked, or saw walk through the doors that you thought, that's not the kind of person I would've expected to be in a place like this. That's not the kind of person that I would've ever thought would be inside of a church. Are, are, are you feeling good about God being compassionate and loving toward that person? It's a hard question if you're honest. Because I think the reality is is that that we all want, we're all excited about God being a God of compassion and God being a God of grace when when it comes to who? When it comes to ourselves. I want that. And to be honest, I want that for my friends and I I want that for my family and I'm guessing you do too. We want God's compassion and grace for us and for the people we love, but, but what about other people? What about other people that we don't love as much? What about other people that we don't love at all? Not as much, yeah? Uh, that reminds me of a story uh, later in the Old Testament uh, from the book of Jonah. If you don't know, it's the guy that gets, what, swallowed by a monster fish, yeah? Um, and, and, and so if, if you know the story, remember, why does Jonah end up in the belly of a fish? If you don't know, I'm, I'm gonna give you a summary. Here's the summary. It's that Yahweh one day comes to Jonah, and he says, hey, um, I want you to go and do something. I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to go to the Ninevites, and I want you to preach a sermon. And here's the sermon. I'm going to give it to you. All you got to say is 40 more days, and Nineveh is going to be overthrown. That's all you had to say, Jonah. you got to go to Nineveh, and, and you got to say 40 more days, and, and Nineveh is going to be overthrown. But, but you see, Nineveh was a hard place to go to. The Ninevites were, were not great people. I mean, they were evil, and to say that they were evil is a bit of an understatement, because these people were horrifically brutal. So, so we've got writings um, that, that kind of talk about uh, people at this time, and we've got writings of, of kings from Nineveh, the Ninevite kings, and, and, and some of these writings, I mean, tr- truly terrible. Things, kings boasting. After military victories, of, of piling uh, human heads, their victims' heads outside of the city gates, making pyramids out of heads. You've you've got kings boasting about burning kids and women, killing them. You've got stories of of, of people being skinned alive and, and their skin taken and plastered on the city walls. And so so awful, I want I and mean, we could go on and on, but but the point is that Nineveh was a terrible place, and Ninevites were awful, terrible people. Which is why God tells Jonah to go and preach against it. To go and preach against their evil, to go and preach against their rebellion against him. But, but instead of listening to, to God, Jonah says, yeah, right, I'm not going there. And in fact, I'm going the exact opposite way. And that's what he does. He runs as fast as he can in the other direction towards a city called Tarshish. But you see, disobeying God doesn't go well for Jonah. And just as a sidebar, it doesn't often go well for us either, does it? Jonah runs away from God. He runs away from what God is calling him to. He ends up, because he's got to go on a boat to get to Tarshish, he ends up on a boat in a storm, and the guys that are on the boat with him kind of think it's all Jonah's fault, so they're like, see ya, and just launch him off the side of the boat. He's drowning. Fish comes by, swallows him up, and Jonah's gonna die except he doesn't because the fish ends up vomiting him up, God gives Jonah a second chance. Jonah gets a second chance on life, and this time Jonah has the smarts to say, okay, I'm gonna listen to you, God. I'm gonna go and do what you said, and that's what he does. He goes to Nineveh, and he preaches that sermon. And get this, it works. Jonah 3, verse 5, the Ninevites, short verse, but it's, all that needed to be said, the Ninevites believed God. They hear this sermon and they believed God. And this is what happens next, verse 10. It says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. Now, you would think this would be good news, yeah? Like, like, you've got these evil people in this evil place doing evil, evil terrible things, and, and, and a guy comes and, 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 you know, preaches a sermon, and, and they kind of realize, man, we're blowing it, and, and they repent. And you would think Jonah would be like, this is unbelievable. I've, I've never seen anything like this. This is amazing. You would think that Jonah's just, like, freaking out right now. God, this is so good. God, you're so good. Look at what you can do even with the worst of people. But this is how Jonah responds. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to Yahweh, Isn't this what I said, Yahweh, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. See, God, or, sorry, Jonah is not happy. He's, he's angry. He's tried to forestall what he knew would eventually happen because he doesn't want God to forgive the Ninevites. He doesn't want them to repent. He just wants judgment for what they've done. He continues. He quotes Exodus 34 back to God. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Yahweh, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than it is to live. See, Jonah's not happy. He's angry. He's mad because why? Because Jonah wants compassion and grace from God for himself, but not for his enemies. It'd be better if I was dead, he says. Not not them, not them, not those people. No way, God. Now when I said this reminds me Because I think if we're honest, like if we're really honest, we're a lot like Jonah. At least I'll be, I'm a lot like Jonah. Maybe you are too. We love God's compassion for ourselves. We love that God is gracious toward us, toward our family, toward our friends, toward the people we love, but not those people. Not those, whoever that is probably different for everyone in here. Not those people. See, we don't want God to be compassionate and gracious to the people who've hurt us, do we? We don't want God to be compassionate and gracious toward the people who gossip about us and tear down our reputation. And some of us in here, we know what that's like. We know what it's like to have your reputation ruined because of gossip and lies and deceit and betrayal. We don't want God to be compassionate with with the people that break up with us, that break our hearts, that, that hurt us. We don't want God to be compassionate with the people who think differently than us, who live differently than us. But you see, that's the problem with Yahweh. It's the problem with Yahweh that Yahweh is compassionate and gracious to everybody. It's who he is. It's his posture toward, it's the thing about himself that he wants us to know more than anything else. And because that's who he is, that's who he's calling us to be. Because God is compassionate and gracious to us, that's who he's calling us to be to others, not to some, not to the people we like, not to the people we love, not to the people that we get something from or the people that we enjoy being a right. No, God is calling us to be compassionate and gracious to everybody. Every single person, period. Reminds me of something Jesus said in the New Testament. He said, he said this, he said, look, don't just love the people that are easy to love. That's a paraphrase, you didn't say it like that. He says, no, love your enemies. What? Yeah. Love your enemies. You, me, us, love our enemies. Pray for people who persecute us. Pray for people who make us suffer. Pray for people who make life hard for us. Speaking of hard, that's really hard, isn't it? I mean, at times, if we're honest, it seems impossible to love people like that. It seems impossible to be compassionate and gracious towards people like that, but that's what it means to follow Yahweh. He doesn't give us the option. He doesn't say, if you want to, this is how you could live. No, he says, do this. Love your enemies. Pray for people who persecute you. Be compassionate and gracious because that's what I am to you. And so I think we've gotta ask ourselves the question, yeah? Like, is that us? Is that you? Is that even what you want? To be someone who is compassionate and gracious, not to some, but to all? See, here are a couple questions that, that I, myself, I wrestle with and, and, and want us to wrestle with. Who, who do you need to be more compassionate toward? Who in your life do you need to be more compassionate toward? Who, who do you need to be more gracious with? Who are the people that, that, if you're honest, that are just in your life that, man, I just, I need to be more gracious with that person or those people. I need to be more compassionate It's hard, but that's what God's calling me to. See, who do you need to have a conversation with? Maybe tonight. Do it. God is nudging you. Let the Spirit nudge you in that direction. I know it's hard. Ask God to help you. Ask God to change your heart. Because get this, that's what he does. That's who he is. Over time, he's going to change you to be people who are compassionate and gracious now, my guess, because I feel this too, my guess is that some of you right now, you, you, you feel pretty guilty. You feel pretty guilty because if we're honest, we know the ways that we fall tremendously short of God's expectation. We fall tremendously short of what God is calling us to when when God calls us to be people like him who are compassionate, like him, people who are gracious. We know the ways in which we're not compassionate towards other people. I know the ways that I'm often not gracious toward other people. And if you're like me, what happens when I'm aware of that, in my good moments, when I actually become aware of that, what happens is, is that not only do I feel guilty, but, but shame starts creeping into my heart. And, and when shame creeps into my heart and it sticks around too long, it starts to infect my life. And because of that, what happens when I'm feeling shame is I'm tempted to hide. And maybe you know the feeling. We sang that in the lyric the other, or earlier today. We're, we're, we're tempted to hide, we're tempted to run from God. Why? Because we don't feel worthy. We don't feel lovable. We don't feel like we measure up. But I wanna encourage you tonight. If if that's how you're feeling, I just wanna leave you with a bit of encouragement. And the way that I wanna do it is I wanna share a story. It's it's a story that Jesus told. And it's one of the more famous stories that Jesus told in the gospels. And it's a story about a guy, his father and two sons. And one of these sons is kind of a self-righteous jerk and the other son is kind of this wild, crazy party animal. And maybe you've heard the story, and if you have, you've heard people talk about the story. What, what happens is a lot of times when people tell this story, what they end up focusing on is the son, the, the licentiousness of the son, the way that the son squanders the, the family inheritance, the way that he blows his wealth, the way that, that he brings dishonor and shame to the family name, the way that at the end of the story, he's eating next to pigs in a trough. And so it becomes this story about how, man, if we just do whatever we want, whenever we want, and run far from God, we don't, it doesn't go well. Not for him, not for us. And I think it's fine to talk about those things. I've learned a lot from that negative example. I've learned a lot from the negative example of the other brother, the self-righteous jerk. But what if the story is also mostly about the father? The father? See, what catches my attention every time I hear this story, whether it's Jesus telling the story or someone else talking about the story, what catches my attention every single time is the way that the father reacts to the son who's gone far from home, he's wrecked his life, he's brought shame to the family, and in his bottom moment of despair, he's, what else do I have to do? So he hangs his head and he goes home. I mean, imagine that journey home. You think you've done some things in your life that have been pretty bad I mean imagine just wrecking your life bringing shame to your family imagine that trip home and that's what this guy's doing he's on his way home and what catches my attention in the midst of that humiliation in the midst of that shame is as the son gets close to home this is what the father does It says, while he was still the son, while he was still a long way off, his father sees him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms open wide. He hugs him and gives him a kiss. See, the son had squandered his life. He'd wrecked his life, and yet the father's compassion is unshakable. It's unshakable. And the reason I'm sharing this story tonight is because Jesus uses this story to say this is exactly what it's like with God. This is exactly how God feels about you. Whatever you've done, whatever we've done, whatever we're doing, whatever someday we will do, that your heavenly Father wants to meet you there, give you a hug, and bring you home. Now, of course he wants us to change. He doesn't want us to stay in our rebellion. He doesn't want us to stay in our disobedience. He wants us to repent of the ways that we sin, of the ways that we rebel. But I want you to leave tonight knowing, we we sang earlier that, that we run to the Father. Here's what I really want you to leave tonight knowing, that your Father, wherever you are at in life right now in this moment, is running to you. And he will never stop running towards you. There is nothing that you can do that will inhibit your heavenly Father running to you because He loves you and He has compassion for you and He wants to show you His grace in Jesus. It's nothing that you have to earn. All you have to do, all we have to do, this is the best news, all we have to do is receive it. That's who Yahweh is, that's what He does. See, God really does, Yahweh really does love us. And I pray that that would change us. That that love, that compassion, that grace that God shows us would transform us into people who go out and do the same. Let me pray that that's true right now. oh God, it it is good news that you are a compassionate and gracious God, that you are a God that runs to us in our disobedience. Not only that, you bring us home, you change us, you transform us so that we can live a life of faithfulness to you. Oh God, we all fall so short Help us to love you, help us to live for you, help us to be people who are compassionate compassionate and gracious. God, help us to be more like that, but more than anything, help us to know who you are, to see who you really are, so that as we do with more, with clearer eyes, the more we know you, the more we experience that you know us, that our lives, would be different. Oh, God, let it be true. Jesus, it's in your name we pray.